If we were to decide to go on a trip after the service ends today, uh, one of the first things we'd obviously need to decide is what our destination is going to be. Maybe we would decide to go out and, and eat lunch together and we'd uh, head over to uh, um, one of the restaurants on, uh, on Route 47. Or maybe you'd, you're thinking about the week ahead and you're like, yeah, I'd rather skip that. So you, you, you would decide, let's go on a real road trip. And uh, you, maybe you want to go to the beach or to the mountains. Or, or maybe you'd think, let's go to, uh, let's go to Washington, D.C., check out the museums, the monuments there. Uh, what a great trip that would be. And, and, and so we would jump in the car, and we would get heading down uh, again, down 47 towards the highway junction. And, and when we got to the on-ramp there, we would, we would actually be faced with a decision. When you think about it, this is true whenever you take any trip anywhere, there's a sense in which whenever we get to an intersection, whenever we get to a, a junction, we have to decide how committed we are to what we plan to do, and specifically to, to where we planned to go. Uh, because we might get to the junction and think, well, we, you know, we could go to D.C. and visit the museums or, and, and the monuments. Or, or maybe we could go and see a different monument and we could go west instead of east and we could go and see uh, Mount Rushmore. Uh, and, and in fact, at every different intersection, every different ramp, every different junction along our journey, there's a sense in which we have a decision to make and we need to kind of recommit ourselves to where it is we're going. That's true really in our journey of life as well. Uh, there are times in our life where uh, we get to an intersection and maybe a time of change, a time of transition, and, and, and we have to think about where we are in our career and uh, where we've come from and, and where we're moving ahead. Uh, we do that at different times with our finances. We do that uh, when we think even about our health. You know, how have we been uh, uh, um, eating? How have we been exercising or not? And, uh, and so we have to recommit to our, to our direction uh, for the future. Now, of course, none of us, if we're really going on a road trip, um, uh, would set out to go to one place and then would change our mind every time we got to an intersection, uh, at least not deliberately. Some of us can get lost pretty much anywhere, including in our own living room. But, uh, but you know, there's a sense in which whenever we find ourselves at a time of transition, a time of change, at an intersection, if you like, uh, that it is a wonderful opportunity for re-evaluation. It's a wonderful opportunity to recommit ourselves and, and go with a, a fresh energy into what lies ahead. And, and while this is a time of transition here at Springbrook, while this is a time of waiting on the Lord here at the church, there's also a sense in which this is a, a wonderful privileged opportunity in which we get to, again, kind of reflect on where God has brought us from and, and where he's leading us, and, and, and with a fresh vigor and a fresh commitment, look to the future. You know, uh, Joshua, in his final words to the people of Israel, he was concerned that they use this time of transition, this time of change, this intersection to ask a very real and very important question. And that is, who are you going to serve as you move forward? Now, for us here, as we, we hear that question, and that question is not only for the people of Israel, it is truly for us as well. We know the Sunday school answer. Well, well we'll serve Jesus. It's the right answer. But what we're going to discover together as we spend some time in God's Word is that it's not just a matter of having the right 
answer. We need to ask the question, so what does that look like? And are we willing to move forward fully into that? Because you see, what Joshua is going to teach us is that serving God isn't just a verbal commitment. It is a costly obedience. Join me in turning to Joshua chapter 24, the last chapter of the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua 24. I want to encourage you to uh, go ahead and open up uh, uh, your copy of the Scriptures, whether it be in the form of a book or on your phone, because, you know, it's so important uh, that we look together at what God is saying to us. So Joshua chapter 24, it begins with these words. Joshua gathered all of the tribe of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel. They presented themselves before God, and Joshua said to all of the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all of the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he made the sea come upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And then I brought you out of the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave, you, uh, I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose, and he fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan, and you came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow that I gave, them, uh, that I gave you the land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you have dwelt in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and of olive orchards that you did not plant." A lot in there, but uh, what's happening is that, that Joshua wants them to understand that when faced with the choice of which way to go, we need to look back on God's grace. Uh, you see, Joshua calls all of Israel together for the very last time. These are literally his last words to the people uh, that we're going to see this morning. And he calls them together and he tells them how their past should impact their future. It's really interesting because he not only pulls them all together uh, to speak to them, but he pulls them together to a very strategic and significant place. In verse 1, you see that he calls them together in a place called Shechem. Now, what's really interesting is that he then recounts all of their history kind of in a, a very brief format. And he reminds them how Abraham and, and his descendants were all pagan worshipers. They didn't know the one true God until God called Abraham out. But what's really interesting is what we discover in Genesis chapter 12 
is that when God first calls Abram and says, leave your people, leave your land, leave your family, and go where I will send you, Abraham comes into Canaan for the very first time. And the very first place he arrives is a place called Shechem. And it is there that God makes him the promise, I will give you descendants and your descendants will inherit this land. And Abraham, this pagan worshiper, this worshiper of idols and false gods, in that moment and in that place renounces those, builds an altar to the one true God and worships him and him alone. It's a significant place. Joshua wants them to remember this. And part of the reason for this is that we need to understand, just as they needed to understand, that whatever our story in the past may have looked like, no matter how hard it may have been or how messed up and and confusing the path may have seemed, that God wants us to recognize that we are here today not because we are deserving and not because God owed us anything, but purely because of his grace. He has rescued us. He has provided for us. He has guided us. Even in the story we just heard from CP about the way in which God protected him and led him, it is all because of God's amazing grace. And so when we find ourselves with a choice of which way to go, the first thing we've got to do is we've got, we've got to look back on God's grace. But, but Joshua continues forward and he explains to them that serving God isn't just a verbal commitment. It is a costly obedience. We see this in what he says next. In verse 14 of chapter 24, he says, Now therefore, so as a result of God's faithfulness, as a result of his grace, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. You see, since God has been so gracious to us. The only right response is to get rid of everything else and serve him. Now, I've already mentioned to you that Shechem was a a, a meaningful, significant place because of what happened with Abraham. But uh, some some chapters later in the book of Genesis, we come to Genesis chapter 35. We meet another person who is very familiar to the people of Israel, Jacob. And and, and Jacob had been a liar and a cheat and a manipulator. And and he had been out of the land of Canaan for some time, and then God brings him back into the land. And, And when he does so, he has this encounter with God, and as a result of that, Jacob brings together his whole household. And he says, bring to me all of your idols, all of your carbon images, all of your gods, all of your false gods. Bring them to me, and he collects them all up because they had been worshiping these, and he takes them to this place called Shechem, same place, and he digs a hole and he buries it all under a tree uh, to renounce those things and to say, we're putting those away. That's not us anymore. We choose to follow the one true God. And so it's in the midst of that very place that Joshua explains to them then, every one of us has got a decision to make. Who will we serve? Look again at what he says here. Now, verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served 
in the region beyond the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so he puts them on the spot. He says, you've got a choice to make. Uh, You've got a decision to make, every single one of you. We read this, and we're kind of confused by it a little bit. It's like, who would consider serving God as evil? He says, but if you consider it evil in your sight to serve God, then serve something else, but make a choice. You know what? We we might not think of serving God as being evil, but what he's actually doing here is he's setting a comparison. He, he, he's saying, if you've got stuff in your life that you're serving, if you've got stuff in your life that you are so invested in and so committed to, if you've got stuff that you kind of bow down to and, 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 and you serve it rather than it serving you, and that's not God, then there's a sense in which your choice of that and your unwillingness to do what God calls you to do causes you to prefer your thing and consider God's things not worth your time and energy and effort. Let's be honest. We can all struggle with that in different ways. We live in a world that, that, that encourages us to think in terms of, yeah, well, I should probably get around to serving God at some point, but there's just so much stuff I still want to do. He says, here's the thing that you need to understand He says, we all have a choice to make. We cannot sit on the fence. Either you are choosing to serve God or you are choosing to serve something else. And he points to them and he says, either you're choosing to serve God or you're choosing to serve the stuff of your past, the gods from your past who are no gods at all. Or or you're choosing to serve God or you're choosing to serve the things that everybody else around you in your land, in your culture, in your circle, in your environment is choosing to serve. There's no neutral territory. It's a choice that you're making. He says, but, but here's what I want you to understand. As for me, and as for my house, we're serving God. You know, it's been uh, nearly 18 years, just a couple of weeks from now, it's been nearly 18 years uh, since my wife and I uh, stood before a congregation of people and, and, and said our marriage vows to one another. And, uh, and, and, and at, our, at our wedding, we kind of had a theme to it. And our theme was right here from Joshua uh, chapter 24, verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I've got to be honest and say, that's hard It's hard to do on a day-in, day-out basis. And and Joshua says to the people, make a choice. But they've all been to Sunday school, so they know the right answer. Because they do respond in verse 16. It says, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all of the way that we went and among all of the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove, us, uh, uh, drove out before us all of the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But here's the thing. What we need to understand is that truly serving God, that that, that true Christianity is more than just words. This is 
hard for us. In fact, Joshua goes on and he says something incredible to them in response. You see, uh, what, uh, what Joshua should have done, you know, as a good pastor, as a good leader of the people, is he should have been rejoicing. He's got like two million people in front of him. He gave a message and all of them said, yep, we're in. We choose to follow God. He should have gone home and written his prayer letter to his supporters at this point. I mean, imagine that. Yep, preached one message, two million people committed. Wow. In come the money. It would be great. But he doesn't do that. In fact, he does something incredibly strange. He tries to talk them out of it. Look with me at verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Joshua, what are you saying? He wants them to understand that serving God isn't just a verbal commitment. It's a costly obedience. And I know I may be stepping on some toes here today, but as a guest, I kind of get to do that. There are a lot of people gathered in churches all across this land right now. And with a group this size, some of them are here. Who prayed a prayer in Awana when they were seven years old. There, there are a lot of people who have uh, said the right words. Uh, there are a lot of people who have been to all sorts of Christian things. There are a lot of people who have bought the t-shirt at all of the Christian concerts. There are a lot of people who have come up on a platform and they have been baptized. But whose lives bear no mark of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Because we have bought into an insipid, dare I say, cheap version of the gospel where it is this idea of if I just say a certain set of words or pray a certain prayer, that's it. But that is not biblical Christianity. And what Joshua is saying to the people here is you can't serve the Lord. Don't, don't be quick to make this commitment. You can't serve him. He is a holy God. Don't you understand what that means? When we speak of the holiness of God, we speak about something that is utterly other, utterly distinct. In fact, we really can't describe it. Because when we describe things that we don't understand, we use terms that we do understand to describe them. The holiness of God is like nothing else. How could we describe it? He is perfect in purity. He is perfect in splendor, in glory. He is utterly distinct. He is other. And in his perfection and his purity, his standard is absolute holiness. And yet the scriptures tell us that every single one of us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have a sin problem. 
And that is because we have committed cosmic treason against the eternal God. And there is nothing but nothing that we can do to clean ourselves up, uh, to, it, it, to, to build up our resume, to earn our way into the presence of a holy God. But here's where the splendor of the gospel comes to bear. Because it is in the midst of our desperation, it is in the midst of our utter inability to do anything before a holy God that we have a mediator, a substitute, a savior, Jesus Christ, who bore our sins in our place to pay our debt that we might take on his holiness. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for you and for me so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Joshua says, don't think that you can just do this by saying, oh yeah, I decide. No, you need to understand that God is a holy God, but more than that, he is a jealous God. It says right here, he's a jealous God. We don't like to talk about God as being a jealous God because we've all grown up being told that jealousy is wrong. It's, it's sinful, right? And surely that can't be true of God. But you see, when we are jealous, it's often because somebody has a car that we would like or a house that we would like or we think somebody's more popular than we are or better looking. We're kind of jealous because of those things. Somebody else has something that we want and we become envious. That is not the case with God. He is utterly perfect. There is nothing that he lacks. There is nothing that he needs. No. When he speaks about being a jealous God in Exodus chapter 20 in the midst of the Ten Commandments, and he says, do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters. Uh, Do not bow down to any graven image or worship it because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Or in Isaiah 42, when he says, I will not share my glory with another. He's speaking of the fact that he is jealous for his own fame. He is jealous for his own glory. That he, in his perfection and his holiness, is right to desire and to expect that all praise and all honor and all glory be given to him alone. And not to anything anyone else. That's why we do missions, that all the nations might know the glory and the splendor of God and might come to know that there is nothing but nothing but nothing that is worthy of praise and honor and glory but him alone. And they might find joy and they discover that. But here's the thing, what Joshua is saying is you don't get it. Don't just be quick to, 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 to say something. It's not just about the words. You have to understand that you cannot profess to serve God and then keep on living the way that you've always lived in the past. You cannot do that because God is a, a holy and a jealous God. And, and, and he goes on, he explains here that God won't forgive their sins, which again, we struggle with because we've all heard that no matter what we do, we can always confess and, 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 and God will forgive our sins through Jesus Christ. And yes, that's true, but we have to understand the context of that. You see, Scripture is abundantly clear that we cannot stand before a holy God and say, God, I worship and honor you. But by the way, I know you said this, there's no way that I'm giving that up. I'm doing my own thing in this area. If that's our attitude, if that's our heart, 
There is no forgiveness available until we are willing to humble ourselves and confess that we have sinned against a holy God. We cannot profess something with our lips and do something else with our life. Joshua says, you can't serve unless you understand this. You see, to truly serve God requires costly obedience. Look with me at verses 21 uh, through 28. We see this laid out here for us. He says, it says, and the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all of the people, behold, the stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all of the words that the Lord has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And so he, he says, okay, so you've chosen to serve the Lord. Okay. He says, I'm, I'm going to take your word for that, but here's what that means. Here's the cost that you need to understand. First of all, they were to put away all other gods. Uh, to, to do as Abraham had done generations before, to do as Jacob had done generations before, to say, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. The things that I used to trust in, the things that I used to rely on, the, the, the things that I used to, to, to build my life upon, I'm putting them away. He says that they were also to incline their hearts, that is to give their full devotion and desire wholly over to the Lord. And they were to listen and to obey his voice without reservation, without delay, and without excuse. That's the kind of obedience that Scripture calls us to. And you know, it's really easy when we're in the pages of the Old Testament like this to say, but we live under the new covenant. They were under law, but we're under grace. But listen to what Jesus has to say in Mark's gospel, chapter 8. And Jesus called to him the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Over the page into Luke's gospel, chapter 14, listen to this. Now the great crowds accompanied him, and Jesus turned to them, and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. No, what does he mean by that? 
Again, this is a Hebrew idiom. It's a, it's a statement of comparison. It's the idea of love less. If anyone does not love those things less than he loves me, if anyone does not in comparison to his love and his obedience and his following after me, in comparison, it'd be as if they hated those other things. But he can't be my disciple. He goes on and he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He goes on to give another uh, example that we don't have time to look at right now. But the point that he's making is precisely the same as what Joshua is calling the people of Israel who stood before him to make. He's saying it's not just a matter of a verbal commitment. It is a costly obedience. Daily denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. You know, sometimes we have this warped idea of what Jesus means by that. You see, sometimes when we hear this idea of denying self, that means, oh, I've got to give up everything that I enjoy. That means that I've got to, that, that, that I've got to haul that all over, and then and God wants me to do stuff which is like, oh, awful. No, it's not, not what Jesus is saying here. He says that we are to deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow him. He goes on to say, for whoever would lose his life will find it. And what he's explaining to his disciples there is this. It's like, you have to lay down all that stuff that you've been trusting, and you have to lay down that stuff that you think that you desire, but ultimately is going to leave you feeling worthless and unsatisfied because it cannot possibly meet the thirsts and desires of your heart. And instead, what you need to do is get rid of that stuff that you think that you want and take a hold of what I know that you need. He's saying the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, who knows you better than anyone else, knows perfectly well how to satisfy you. Scriptures from beginning to end tell us that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. It, it, It tells us that in his presence there is fullness of joy. Some of us are holding on to our own stuff And we're like, yeah, I kind of, you know, Jesus, I know you're calling me to do certain things, but there's no way I want to give this up because I want to enjoy myself first. It's like, you don't get it. I'm calling you to something that is far greater, far more glorious, far more enjoyable, far more satisfying than you could ever even begin to imagine. And you just want to do that stuff? What's wrong with you? See, the Christian life is not for the faint of heart. It is an adventure. It is a journey that we take with the all-sufficient God of the universe. And it's a costly journey. Oh. But it is immeasurably glorious and worth far more than we could ever even begin to imagine. And so when Joshua is finished speaking with the people, he sets up this stone of witness there at Shechem as a visible reminder and a testimony that they would serve the Lord God and him alone. You know, I love the fact that I discovered as I was studying uh, uh, this passage that just a couple of years ago, there were a group of archaeologists 
Uh, and they were uh, doing a dig in this area around Shechem, and they found this huge limestone pillar. I'm like, that might well have been this stone of witness that we read about here in Joshua 24. Uh, but for them, it was a rallying point. It was a reminder of the seriousness and the costliness of what they were committing to do. And I wonder, as we find ourselves, in a sense, at an intersection, at a, a, a junction in the journey, at this strategic time which has not taken God by surprise, in the life of the church, and perhaps in your own lives individually, if this could not be for us a Shechem moment. A time where we do a double take, a time where we uh, do a reevaluation, a time for some of us where we do a, a recommitment. You see, for some of us, we need to understand that this is the time where we need to get off the fence. It may be that you've been checking things out for a while. You've been kind of kicking the tires of Christianity. And you've been thinking, maybe I should do this whole Jesus thing, but uh, uh, not quite yet. Maybe later, because there's still stuff I want to do. Choose this day who you will serve, because it's either the Lord or it's something else. There are others of us over here, who maybe have prayed that prayer. Maybe we've been doing the whole church thing, perhaps for our whole life. Perhaps you know the right words, and you, know, and you sing all the songs, and, and, and you go through all the motions, but if you're, if, if you're truly honest with yourself, that's precisely what it is. It's a, it's a going through the motions. It's been about kind of a selective service, uh, about holding back, There are some of us who um, come to church every so often. You know, it kind of feels like something that we should do when there's nothing better on the calendar. And um, we want to check that box. There's something about it that kind of feels good. But there's no costly obedience. I want to talk about what it is that Christ has done and the transforming power that he brings into a person's life. The freedom that he gives, as we heard in the wonderful testimony from CP. It's like, I, I don't know anything about that. Get in the game. Quit standing on the sidelines. And maybe, maybe there are some of us here who just simply need to separate ourselves like some of the people of Israel did. Maybe it's not from a carved idol or an image or a false god, but maybe it's something that you have been allowing to take the place of God in your life. Something that you have been putting your hope and and your trust in. Something that, if you're honest, you've been bowing down to and worshiping in place of God. For some of us, it's a relationship. For some of us, it's our kids or marriage. For some of us, it's it's the pursuit of our own comfort, our own convenience, and our own reputation. For some of us, it's something completely different. But if you've got something that you've been allowing to take the place that only God rightly deserves in your life, there's two just very briefly quick responses. 
One is, get real with God about it in repentance. And repentance, again, is not just words. It's not just, oh, sorry about that, God. It it is about coming before God and saying, God, I have been going my own way. I now agree with you over my sin. Forgive me, because I don't want to do that anymore. Is it a confessing before him? And it is a turning around from those old things and pursuing him and him alone. And then with that, as a part of that turning around, uh, some of us have got some stuff in our life that we just need to put away, that we need to get rid of, that we need to go to a place like Shechem and find a tree and dig a hole and stuff that stuff in there and bury it and say, and I'm done with that. I remember doing some pre-marriage counseling with a young man who was in the church that I was serving at at the time. And as a part of that, it's just a matter of weeks before his wedding, he confessed with me how trapped he was in pornography. It's a number of years ago now. And so um, he asked me to come over to his apartment, and he he opened up the closet, and he showed me this huge duffel bag, and he said, this is full of videos and magazines and and, and we talked about it and we prayed about it. And I said, you know what? It's time that that was put away. It's time that that was done. And there were literally thousands of dollars of this stuff there. And I remember as we talked and as we prayed, this conviction coming over him. And we went downstairs to a trash compactor at his apartment building. And I stood back and I remember watching him say, I've got to be done with this. And dedicating himself to the Lord, opening that trash compactor, put in all of this stuff, thousands and thousands of dollars of this stuff in there that had held him for so long, and closing the compactor and pressing the button. And seeing the freedom in that man's life ever since. What do you need to put away from you? You see, serving God isn't just a verbal commitment. It is a costly obedience. But friends, while the cost may be genuine and real and significant, oh, the reward is beyond what you and I can possibly imagine, both now in this life and for all eternity. So choose this day who you will serve. And as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, our God, we come to you, the Holy One, the rightly jealous God of heaven and earth, and we acknowledge that you and you alone are worthy of praise and honor and glory. Lord, as we gather here in this place, we want to confess before you that so often we have chosen to follow lesser things. We have played at a a, a cheap Christianity, a confessing with our lips, but not a yielding with our lives. And Lord, I would pray that should that be the case for any here this morning, that by your Spirit that you would prompt them, uh, that you would convict them, that you would reveal to them those areas that they need to, need to yield to you and perhaps even uh, reveal to someone who may have been going through the motions for many, many years but has never truly come to know you that today might be the day of salvation for them. 
And Lord, as we find ourselves strategically in your wisdom and your sovereign plan at this, in a sense, this, this intersection. Lord, we as a people want to come before you and rededicate and recommit ourselves to you and declare, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Lord, lead us, teach us, help us to do that with daily obedience, laying down ourselves and taking up Christ each moment, we pray in his holy name. Amen.